Matt Jennings is with us. We're going to talk TCU football and more. This was a terrible tease. I'm going to hit the opener and we'll just get going. You are Locked On Horn Frogs. Your daily podcast on the TCU Horn Frogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. You heard the voice lady, Locked On Horn Frogs, your team every day. I'm Steven Simcox. Next to me is Matt Jennings. Matt Jennings, uh, formerly of the college football media world and now just a person that uh, works in Atlanta, but is also still a big TCU fan, has great thoughts about TCU football. And so he's with us. You can follow him on Twitter, at Matt A. Jennings. Are you going to pick up the Twitter uh, when the season starts? Will you tweet more when games are going on? You know, I the short answer is yes. I told myself when Twitter seemed like it was going to f- like fall to pieces last mm-hmm. season, I was like, this season's a great season to kind of go out on. And yet here I am like uh, a junkie or a person with Stockholm Syndrome coming on back yeah. saying like, no, 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 it's great. Uh, it'll be okay. So um, yeah, I'll be, I'll be tweeting. Well, sorry, posting, posting. I'm not going to engage with Elon on that. I'm not going to, I'm not going to give him what he's asking for there. It's tweeting still. So I'll be tweeting uh, during TCU games to the chagrin of everyone. Yeah, that's true. I guess it's technically called X now, but I don't know if anybody refers to it as that except people that don't actually use the app. Um, But anyway, that's that you can subscribe to our YouTube channel. We're over 750 subscribers, which I think is more than anyone's ever had um, on any YouTube channel ever. Matt, do your kids watch YouTube at all? Like, do your daughters ever watch anything on YouTube? They'll, um, we will, we'll put on some of those, like, four hours of Elmo's World compilation mm-hmm. that, like, the Sesame Street channel will put out. Um, we'll, we'll put, we'll put that on. Not, like, run the full runtime of it, but if you're sitting at a, at a restaurant and the food's taking a minute and the, the children are starting to lose it, that's, uh, that's usually the use case for us with YouTube for now. Yeah, it's been fun for me to watch the channel like grow over the past year and the subscriber number go up. But then like my five-year-old daughter, Abby, who there's a picture of her behind me, but it's pretty outdated. But anyway, she's five years old now. And she watches Ryan's World, which is uh I don't know. Is that the kid that does the unboxing videos? Yeah, well, it started as that. Now it's like a whole production where he and his friends do, I mean, they pretend to be like doctors and stuff, and it's it's a whole thing. But anyway, she was watching it last night on my phone and I looked and he has like 99 million subscribers or something insane. And it's just such a, it's such a disheartening. It's like, what am I even doing with my life? I, you know, wake up, I go to my, do my mortgage job. I do a podcast at night and there's just some like 10 year old somewhere making a billion dollars, but good for him. He's unlocked the the content farm that we all wish we had. Hey man, slow and steady. And I know one day you're going to hit, those same sort of astronomical subscriber numbers with this podcast. If I ever get to 99 million subscribers, I'll retire and I won't do any more YouTube videos. Cause I think at that point the family will be okay. I'll sell this thing. I'll sell the lockdown network. Anyway, we're going to talk some CCU football now. Matthew Jennings is with us. And Matt, uh, since the last time we talked, the big 12 has added like 25 teams or something like that. <laughs> um, they've added four. 
It was first Colorado and then Utah, Arizona, Arizona State. Of course, it's not going to happen until next season. Brett Yormark doing a really nice job. People are kind of weird about how much they like them, like him. I don't know. I just thought about that today. It's sort of like Ted Lasso. Like Ted Lasso is a good show, but some people are just very strange about how much they enjoy the show and how much of an impact it's had on their life. Uh, some Big 12 people are very weird about Brett Yormark and how much they enjoy who he is as a person. But he's doing a good job in leading this conference. The Pac-12 is seemingly gone. Um, what was your initial reaction to the four corner schools joining uh, the the big 16, as we might call it? So? Yeah, as an aside, I'll be very curious to see what the, what the branding is going to yeah. be. Um, come 2024. Um, I am, I think to your point, I think your mark is doing a good job with the job he's been assigned to do. Just like every other conference commissioner, his job is to serve the interests of his constituents, like of his conference members. It was in the interest of the big 12 members to expand the membership, expand the total amount of revenue that's coming into the, into the conference and, um, and do so in a way that still like kept of all the realignment that's happened. Um, like this is certainly a geographic geographically is a, is a round of realignment for the big 12. At least that makes more sense than say USC and UCLA and Oregon and Washington joining the big 12, right? Oh, excuse me, the big 10. So that's all good. Um, and it's like, I think for any fan of a big 12 school, I think you gotta be happy that you survived this round of musical chairs at the same time, I would echo the, uh, concerns of everybody that over the last few weeks of like, one of the great things about the sport is the regionality of it. And so to lose just another go a one more step down the line away from having that um it sucks and there's a lot of speculation of like hey the big 10 and the sec are the leagues that really like have the weight and the money to throw around at what point do they um form their own sort of independent college football venture and when that happens, who gets brought in and who gets left out and who gets kicked out, honestly? Those are the right. things that scare me. Um, so within the context of all of that that's going on, with the hand that he's been dealt, I think Yormark's doing a good job. Um, uh, I, and I think he's positioned the Big 12 in a strong way. I hate that it has to happen at the expense of everyone else or of anyone else, I should say, but he's positioning himself in such a way where it's like, Hey, you know, let's, let's, let's check back in five years and see how Florida state and Clemson are feeling and see if the big 10 or the sec are saying that those schools make sense for them. Mm-hmm. Your marks big on college basketball. Is he going to try and poach a North Carolina or a Duke later on? Um, and, and, he, you know, so I, I think he's thinking, strategically long term i think he's making smart business decisions again in the interest of his constituents it just sucks that the state of things that we're in at the moment um so it's it's always a bittersweet kind of thing when you go through another round of realignment 
Yeah, I mean, it definitely feels like a lot of moves. Just in, I'm talking broadly. I'm not talking about the Big Twelve. The Big Twelve is, in a lot of ways, just sort of trying to survive in a in a changing landscape, which is what they're supposed to do. Um, it feels like a a place where college football is trying to appeal to more casual fans than actual like diehard people who love the sport and watch every week and would enjoy like an Oregon state wazoo game at nine 30, you know, on a, on a Saturday night. Um, are there any teams? So like, I know UCF is on a tear, like in a recruiting standpoint right now, and they're kind of an interesting school coming from Orlando. What team of the newcomers, whether it be the four that are emerging this year or the four next year, are you sort of like, huh, that could be a real threat to if TCU continues down this path of playing well and being successful, this could be the biggest threat to, you know, them sustaining uh, supremacy long-term. I think the, there is a, uh, there's a theoretical answer and an actual answer. I think the actual answer is Utah. I think that is pretty obvious. I mean, Utah and TCU are like the prime examples of teams that made the jump from mid-major, so to speak, conferences to power conferences and have done a phenomenal job with it. Uh, I think Pac-12s, I think uh, Utah's won, I think it's now three straight Pac-12 titles. Um, Kyle Whittingham doesn't get talked enough, talked about enough as one of the best coaches in the game. Um, and their style of play is very sustainable regardless of like what's going on. Like they're not dependent necessarily on a particular uh, recruiting pipeline. Like their, their game plan is – we're going to develop players. We're going to play a really physical style of ball. And we're going to hit you in the mouth for four quarters. And we're going to do that to yeah. everybody. And they can do that regardless of whether or not maybe their South, their Southern California pipeline gets broken off a little bit. So they're going to be a threat. Um, and I'm excited to have that old Mountain West rivalry back, quite frankly. I think that's going to be a fun time because seeing them, TCU and Utah going head to head during that time was a lot of fun. Um, that's the actual answer. In theory, in theory, Houston could be something because they sit in the most fertile recruiting ground in the country, in the Houston area. It produces the most um, blue chip college talent and just college talent period in, mm-hmm. in the game of football. But it is the university of Houston. It is historically more of a commuter school. It is, um, do they have the infrastructure? Do they have the the alumni and booster support that they need? Um, and just the culture to be able to cultivate that. I don't think things are going super great for Dana right now there. So TBD on whether or not they can capitalize on all the potential people say that they have. Um, but you want to talk about who could put together a really scary roster? Mm-hmm. It would be Houston in theory. But who do I think is actually going to be a team that could compete for conference titles and pretty quickly – Utah, 100%. Yeah, is Utah, like, if if Gary had continued to coach at a high level and his plan was working, is that, like, the more modern version of – or the extension of, you know, what a TCU team could look like under his watch that was successful in the modern era? Because you're right, they just hit you in the mouth. Oh, yeah, I think so. It, it, they, they are very much like those vintage – Gary Patterson, late Mountain West years, TCU teams, like super physical on defense, can score a lot of points, but not necessarily in a flashy way. Yeah. Um, they're, they, they're reminiscent in some ways of like 
Beamer Ball, Virginia Tech. Like they were great special teams teams as well. And um, yeah, so I think there's a different universe where things go different for Gary down the stretch and he can establish that identity and he's still coaching. Um, didn't quite turn out for him. I think part of that was because you had a, uh, you had a Goliath at the time with Oklahoma, uh, particularly under Lincoln Riley, where you just couldn't get around them. Utah got the benefit of like USC was trying to figure out what it was for a long time. Washington and Oregon both had spurts, but um, they were able to, you know, kind of establish their identity, stake out what they wanted to be and then actually execute on it. And which again, makes them a really interesting addition to a conference that has historically not played that style of ball outside of like Kansas state. I want to talk with Matt in a moment about uh, the actual season coming up and expectations for TCU. I do want to talk though about LinkedIn, linkedin.com slash lockdown college. Listen, talent acquisition is the biggest part of any business, if you own a small business or if you're in charge of hiring, you should use LinkedIn jobs to post your uh, next job. You can add your job to their purple hashtag hiring frame at linkedin.com slash lockdown college. They have simple tools like screen questions that make it easy to focus on candidates with the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who to hire. Don't waste time. Use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. Again, that's linkedin.com slash college to post your jobs for free. Don't mess around. Everybody knows what LinkedIn is. It's where people go to look for work. You should use it if you are hiring folks or if you are in uh, the small business world. Okay, back here with Matt Jennings. And uh, we're at this time of the offseason, Matt, where it it's getting tiresome to talk about the looming questions. Um about the team. Cause like, you know, we've been doing this for months. So I will, I will try to find a more creative way to ask you this question. Chandler Morris is going to be the starter. Uh, apparently chance Nolan got to camp sort of looked around and said, you know what? I'd rather not be here. Um, so it appears it's, it's Chandler's time. What does, what do you know about him that gives you optimism? Like what have you seen from him that he does well that gives you hope that he can step in and be a quality quarterback for TCU football this season? I think what Chandler Morris does extraordinarily well from what we've seen is timing and accuracy as a passer, right? Um, His ability, that's something that I think is probably is part of the reason why he won the job over Max Duggan coming out of fall camp in 2022 is Doug and what set him apart, made him special was uh, the off script things that he could do as well as his ability to run the ball. And he improved over the course of the season, but a lot of the stuff, you know, I, a lot of the stuff that he could do was stuff that really only counted once the lights were on. Right. And when you're playing an actual live game environment, but if, if you're, if you're, if your offense requires timing, if it requires uh, your receivers and your quarterback to be in sync and to and to be able to hit one another at a very particular time um, and to know what the other one's going to do and be accurate with the football, Chandler Morris is the better product. That like That's what we know, right? Duggan improved in accuracy over the course of the season. And so I think that's really what he brings to the table. And in an offense um, – 
that is still air raid adjacent. Ken O'Brien's comes in um, and like any air raid adjacent or flavored offense, there's going to be a lot of like receivers making reads on what kind of routes they run based on like the shading of the defensive back and, and, or the distance from the line of scrimmage, of the defensive back, all of that Morris and his receivers being on the same page, knowing where they're going to break and when, and being able to hit them in stride and let them be able to get yards after the catch. He's going to be able to help them do that. That's mm-hmm. the ideal. Right. And so um, there is a world that exists where um, the offense is extraordinarily explosive and is on time all the time because of that ability that Morris has. Um, the, the elephant in the room being, of course, he started three games in college. He's made it through one of those games healthy. Right. Can he stay healthy over the course of a full season is, I think, the big question for everybody, um, especially given his size. Um, he's put on some weight uh, in the strength program in the offseason in order to try and counteract, counteract that. Um, and you hope the offensive line um, can protect him and that the play con can kind of protect him and shield him from hits. We'll see, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's that's the million dollar question. It is you have to keep this guy upright. Uh, so these skill position guys, it's it's an odd year. And I mean, I guess you could have said the same thing last year. I feel like I did when I was doing these these preview shows before the season. But I could stand up at a podium and make the ele- like the thirty second elevator pitch for all these people, right? Like Trey Sanders. Oh yeah, big year, former five star recruit, Alabama guy, uh, getting healthier. Blah blah. Monty Bailey. We saw some burst. Um, Savion Williams did some nice things for the team last year. Jalen Robinson had a super productive year at UCF a few years ago. Where do you fall on the the idea of you have a, a bunch of different ingredients uh, that haven't been showcased yet and they're about to really pop and make this uh, this offensive dish flavorful? Or are you more concerned about we don't know who these people are in, in big moments and big situations. And we're not going to know until uh, they play Colorado in early September. I think they have the depth where they've given themselves a lot of options. Right. And so if a guy you thought was going to be a, a serious contributor, a starter, um, a guy getting the lion's share of the reps at a particular position doesn't pan out. You've got a few guys behind him um, that can step up and you can try some things with. So I think they will find some combination of, of, of who they like and, and get that group of guys out there. My money right now, if I were to put, pick like who I feel like are the best chance of like the best combination of guys to give you what you want, I'd look at, uh, John Paul Richardson, no one has been able to talk enough about him in spring and at fall camp, just like being a super reliable target, best hands, good route runner, already developed a rapport with Chandler Morris and the other quarterbacks. Seems like he's going to be your your number one guy in the slot, at least. Mm-hmm. So John Paul Richardson, um, Savion Williams coming back, Jared Wiley at tight end. Um, and then I think that other receiver spot that, Quentin Johnston vacated is, is the big question to your point. You've got a bunch yeah. of different guys that could be that, right? Like, is it, is it Jalen Robinson? Is it Warren Thompson? I'm like, I, I really am quietly thinking that Cordell Russell, even though he's a true freshman, this 
offense is designed to get receivers in fast and make plays and make things simple for them and be able to put up some huge numbers. He's got a he's got great hands. He's got great size. That's who I think. I think that group, those three receivers, and then Wiley at tight end looks like the group to me that I think ends up being among your top receivers. And I like that group. The question is, Darius Davis, Tate Barber, Quentin Johnston, Savion Williams, they had both they had all played three plus years together. Not to say nothing of Mac, playing with Max Duggan that many snacks to pl- uh, snaps that many snaps with the offensive line. That group all like knew each other, and they yeah. instinctively knew what e- what each of their teammates needed and what their teammates were going to do in a particular situation. You've got a lot of individual pieces now that are very talented. Many of them have not played any snaps together. So do they gel? Do they? Co- uh, coordinate well and complement each other, particularly in a new offense, um, new offense um, with a new offensive coordinator. That's the question for me. The the thing, if if you're a TCU fan, I think the thing that you can hang your hat on is say like, look, Sunny Dykes has never overseen a bad offense, right? Right. Yeah. It's never yeah. happened. They're gonna be fine. I think. The thing that might be a little scary is they were streaky at times last year. Like they were kind of, they would be hot and cold, but they were explosive when they needed to be. I, I can, I am fairly comfortable saying, I think they will be even more streaky this year because of all those variables, which makes me, it means that they're going to have a game where they drop 60 on somebody and it's going to be amazing. And they're going to have a game where they just like drop an absolute, like nothing burger in a, in a crucial moment. And I think we just need to kind of be mentally prepared for that. No, it's a good point. One, uh, there's a lot of excitement about these slot receivers, like inside guys, uh, John Paul Richards and Jojo Earl, major Everhart. I totally understand it. I'm not here to rain on anybody's parade. I do think it's funny though. Like, Darius Davis took a punt return to the house last night for the Chargers. Um, he's an NFL receiver. Granted, I could I would say, like, without looking at stats, John Paul Richardson was probably a more productive slot receiver than Darius Davis was last year. Davis was more of a special teams guy. Um, but, dude, like, Tay Barber was the second-best receiver for a team that was in the national title game last year. Like, he was pretty good. Tay was – and it wasn't like he was a one – Year wonder like Tay was a guy that came up with clutch catches his whole career. Um, so it could be, but that's also a huge ask to say some incoming guys are going to be just miles better. And one note on that too. So Dalen Wright um, and Horn Frog Blitz, uh, Jeremy Clark had this. Dalen Wright's been cleared, the Minnesota transfer, and we've talked about him before. But um, he had some academic things he was clearing up, so he's he's good to go. He's in practice. Uh, he's another guy that, like, maybe I'm just too plugged into fan reaction, but sometimes I see people talk about their expectations, and the physical tools are there. But he had 280 yards last year. And I yeah. get, like, I get Minnesota runs the ball a lot, um, but I just – if you're expecting him to step in and be just a massive contributor, I would say maybe temper those expectations a little bit because – I. I don't know. The more I think about it, Matt, the guy that I feel like could emerge, and I agree with you about Cordell Russell, but, you know, Jalen Robinson, like, almost had 1,000 yards receiving in 2020. Um, Again, got to stay healthy, but he seems like 
he seems like the one guy that it's it's you could you could say okay the the hype here is uh is well received if he can stay on the field yeah i think robinson absolutely i think earl again another guy if he can stay healthy it is it is you know was a was a four starter group coming out of high school had tcu high on his list before he ended, ended up going to alabama you know like there is again there's a lot of individual pieces that you like and that you can see a path forward with them where things go really really well um dj allen another one um yeah, i yeah. wanted to see last year but some some injury issues kept him off the field another guy in the slot who could who could make some plays right and so it's finding that right combination of guys making uh, and um and then them staying healthy um so again i think the good thing for them is that they have given themselves lots of options and so if any right. one of these there is there are other teams where if their transfer, if their Dalen Wright comes in and just tanks, it it kills their season, right? Sure. TCU's not in that scenario. They have a bunch of different guys who, hey, if if Wright doesn't work out or if he gets hurt, if Robinson doesn't, if Cordell Russell needs some time to develop, if DJ Allen, JoJo Earl, one of them gets hurt, like there are other guys, right? Um, but it does the lack of production and snaps together is just something to watch. The good news for you, if you look at the schedule, is you're you get a lot of time to work out the kinks before you get to the the quote unquote tough part of the schedule, mm-hmm. right? Like there's a there's a again I keep using this phrase I hate that I'm, but like there's a world that exists where um, they're not maybe playing their best ball or they're figuring stuff out on their way to like seven and zero before they really start hitting some some big tests on the schedule. Uh, I'm not we'll, necessarily go seven. <laughs> it, it, it could it could happen just because they're 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 in a good position talent wise, uh, particularly in relative to a lot of the teams they're going to be playing. Now I agree with that, and I feel better about it honestly uh, because that trip to Ames looks. I mean, famous last words, but with Hunter Deckers, <laughs> with Hunter Deckers, and, and also they're starting running back out. I feel a lot better about uh, that game, and that was one that I just in my mind was like, eh, that could be that's, yeah. that you could trip up there, but uh, we'll take one more break. And then when we come back with Matt, I want to ask him about what Sonny Dykes does well, that gives him hope for next year. And uh, we'll also get into the defense a little bit. All right. So sometimes I go back and forth on this idea, but TCU had good fortune last year, right? I think any team that had a run like they did, you could look back and say, okay, they were games that you escaped. Um, but obviously Griffin Kell misses that kick against Baylor. That's a loss. They could have, you know, not come back against Oklahoma State and K-State. But what, Matt, what did you see from Sonny Dykes and the staff last season uh, that they did well that you thought, okay, this is something that we can put in a box, and this is year to year this is going to work, and it's, it's not like a flash-in-the-pan type, uh, type of situation? I think – one of the things you hear Sonny Dykes talk about often is even though he is off the air raid tree, um, he does care about controlling the line of scrimmage on offense and he cares about running the ball. Um, not that those are the only things that you need to do to be able to win, but you do need to be, you need to have the ability to be balanced when the situation call necessitates it and calls for it. Right. And he understands that. And like Kendra Miller was their first thousand yard rusher, 
in years. Like I think since Aaron Darius Green ever hit a thousand yards, it, uh, might have been, it might have been Aaron yeah. Green. Honestly, I think no, I think you're right. I think it might have been Aaron Green, and or Kyle Hicks. Anyways, not the point. The point being, he understood the fact that to be able to close out games, uh, to be able to uh, play good situational football, win in short yardage, you got to be able to be balanced. Doesn't mean you have to run the ball 60% of the time, but you have to be able to do it, and people have to respect you, respect your right. ability to do it, right? And so I think that mindset is, and and that commitment is good. I thought it was um, controlling line of scrimmage. I thought AJ Ricker in year one with kind of a hodgepodge group that we weren't kind of super sure about coming into the season did a really good job. And mm-hmm. um, I'm curious to see what a, a group with a lot of new faces on it on the offensive line looks like this year. But that emphasis on we're going to recruit and we're going to develop and we're going to make sure we can control the line of scrimmage. We can run the ball when we need to is all great. Um, I was at times a little uh, shady on like the special teams, but like a credit to them, uh, 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 Mike Tomardall and um, just the emphasis on even having a special teams coach like Darius Davis, to your point, like won them a couple games with, key returns, whether for touchdowns or getting them good field position, Griffin Kell was money in key moments. Um, and to your point about close games, I think the things that set you apart, what's your special teams play? What's your quarterback play? And what's your, and does your head coach give you any sort of differentiation? Mm-hmm. Right. I haven't seen enough of Sonny Dex as a game manager to really kind of have a read on him one way or the other on like, well, how do you do managing the clock situational play calling things like that? Um, I want a larger sample size, but I like what they're at, special teams-wise, and, um, and um, cautious optimism about Chandler Morris as a quarterback. Certainly got a lot of weapons, um, and so I don't think they're going to be in as many close games this year because I just don't think statistically it's likely they're going to lose more of them. But um, I, I don't think they're going to like after going what was it like six and zero or something in one possession games last year. They're going to go zero and six. Sure. Yeah. I think they're going to be. Uh, you know, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. And again, what we said before, they've never Sunny Dykes has never overseen a bad offense, right? So I think you can at least like, okay, when you get forced to be in a situation where you have to try to outscore somebody, you're gonna mm-hmm. like that's a game that they're comfortable playing. I would agree with that. So defensively, last year was an adventure at times, but bottom line was they were they were money when they had to be, and yeah. you know they won that Texas game, and honestly kept them in some other games. But uh, Matt, with with what they have, a lot of pieces in secondary coming back, linebackers coming back. Do you think this defense can be good enough that if if the offense sort of sputters through the first three or four games of the year? Could this defense sort of carry them until you know everybody gets their their feet under them and, and the season really starts to build? I think yes, with a caveat. I agree. I think they the defense came up in big moments for them last year against Texas. Honestly, in the Michigan game, I know you give up fifty points, but like they they made some huge stops against Michigan um, on the fourth on the fourth and goal, uh, two pick sixes, all of it, right? I like what they have on the defensive line, especially the talent they brought in with guys like Marcus Deal. I love Dominic Richardson. Excited to see another year of him. They're healthier at linebacker. They've got more depth. Bring back Josh Newton. Get some transfers, some other transfer quarterback. That's all great. I think the thing that no one's talking about enough that gives me just a little bit of pause is the safety group. Because, I mean, let's be honest. 
we all love Bud Clark and we all love Miller Bradford and we all love Mark Perry. Not no shade at any of those guys. But Big 12 title game against Kansas State, against JJ McCarthy in the Fiesta Bowl, and then trying to match up with Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington and 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 limit Sesson Bennett at all in the title yeah. game. That group got carved up repeatedly over those three games to end the season. First two games, well, the middle game, they they made it work. And Bud Clark comes up with a huge pick six, and so it's fine. He's super aggressive. That's who he is. It's going to mean some big plays, but it's also going to mean big plays in your favor sometimes. That's fine. I do think it's interesting that, like, Josh Foster seems to have, like, kind of moved his way up into the starting lineup in, uh, in practice here in, in, in preseason camp and that Bradford's not out there. He's been a starter for a few years, right? I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm nervous – uh, about that group matching up against some of the slot receivers and some of the tight ends and some of the running backs out of the backfield that they're going to have to. Um, and they're going to have to cover in space. That's the thing that gives me the most pause. I feel good basically everywhere else. Yeah, the two things that got them last year, you're totally right about the – and I, I haven't talked about that enough, about the safeties covering people. Because uh, bottom line is like Mark Perry, and I don't say this is a slight because he's a really good job, but like he's – in a lot of ways, an extra body in the box. Yeah, he's a box safety. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's a box safety. Um, and and that's the other issue was just people kind of window dressing in the run game. And Baylor and K-State did that to them a lot. Joe Gillespie said he's compensated for that, and I trust that he's done some things that can, you know, solve that. I, I don't, to your point, I don't know uh, what they can do about the second problem. But, I mean, maybe just another year – and a better understanding of uh, systems and that type of thing can help in in some ways. But yeah, you're right. There's people are watching that. Georgia, I don't know how much coaches can glean from the Georgia film, um, but people will be watching it, trying to figure out ways to attack that defense. Um, okay, Matt, quickly, over under seven and a half. Give me an over under, and then tell me how many wins you think TCU gets in uh, 2023. Seven and a half wins is the over under. I'll take I'll take yeah. the over. I'll take the over. I think particularly with a bowl game, I feel fairly com- I feel confident that they get to eight. Um, I'm gonna. How many games did they play? Twelve games in the regular season. So yeah. uh, I'll say nine and four, like record with a bowl game to finish the year. Okay. That's what I will. But that they don't make the Big Twelve title game because that would get them to 14 games. Um, yeah. That's what I'm going to say now so people can find Look this market. And tell me how wrong I am later. Yeah. Hey, Seuss, I know you're going to comment and say 15-0, and, and I love it, brother. You keep selling me that. and Bring that energy. We love it. Yes. And you were – I mean, you were almost right last year. So uh, keep doing that. Keep doing that. That's Matt Jennings. He's a friend of the show. I'm Stephen Simcox. It's Lockdown Horn Frogs, and it's your team every day.